Eight days after Steve Snedeker died, his daughter Brenda called investigators and said that she would give consent for them to search the office of North Florida Oil because she wanted to know what happened to her mother. While they were there, Brenda showed them a stuffed chair that she said belonged to her mother. Steve had given it to one of the oil plant workers named Rod Barngrover, and she wondered if maybe Steve had killed her mother in that chair, and that's why he gave it away. Police also collected a Charter Arms 38 caliber revolver with the serial number ground off, a jewelry box containing forms, papers, receipts, jewelry, and keys, as well as several maps, newspapers, checkbooks, and assorted papers. The chair was also taken to be examined for the presence of blood. Later, Sergeant Morrison would return all the items of value to Brenda, except the revolver, which had to be kept because of the serial number being ground off. And the chair was tested, but there was no indication for the presence of blood. At the end of January, the assistant Florida state attorney prepared a letter for Lynn Wagner to present to Wanda Bowling, Steve's girlfriend slash alleged new wife. Please consider this letter as a written guarantee from this office that should Wanda Bowling cooperate fully with your investigation into the disappearance and probable death of Gertrude Snedeker, no criminal prosecution will be brought against Ms. Bowling for any crimes uncovered during said investigation. Please convey to Ms. Bowling that this agreement is contingent upon her providing you with completely honest and candid statements as to all she knows about the above subject matter. This exact same letter was prepared and sent to Steve's oldest son, Joe. Police had reason to believe that both individuals had information that would be valuable to their investigation into the disappearance of Trudy Snedeker. In the ensuing months, more interviews were done and further information filtered in. Brenda relayed details from a three-way call that she and her brothers had regarding one of the boys asking Wanda if she knew where his mother's gun was. According to him, Wanda said she had it, but she would not give it to anyone until, quote, the matter was over. Although I'm not quite sure what the matter referred to, perhaps Steve's estate. Brenda said one of her brothers told her that right after Steve passed away, Wanda came home and took a bunch of papers outside and burned them in the backyard. Investigators also spoke again with Steve's sister, Mary Jones. During the conversation, Mary said that while she was visiting Steve at the hospital the day before he passed away, he was talking about a gravel road about five miles from Astor. He mentioned construction equipment and something about blowing up a tree with some explosives. Mary Jones said that she feels Steve was trying to tell her that Trudy was buried at a construction site off of a gravel road in the forest. Interestingly, after that, Mary got a few phone calls that directly related to that information about the gravel road. The first one came from a male caller asking if she had friends on the police department in Florida. Then they asked, very specifically, if the police would trade an oil truck which had been seized in Marion County for information about where Trudy's body was buried. Hmm, what family do we know has oil trucks? I wonder. Mary said that she received the first call on April 4th at about 5 in the evening, and then the same person called again 
around 11.10 that night, and he told her that Trudy's body was off a gravel road five miles from Astor and that Trudy may be in that car. The caller further alleged that Steve had a guy from New York dig a hole and bury her with a bulldozer. A tree was then allegedly blown up using a remote control switch to fall over the burial site. The caller told Mary that she was not to share this with police unless they were willing to trade that truck for information, and then he hung up and said he would call back the next night. When he called back, the first thing he said when Mary picked up the phone was, did they release the truck? Mary told the caller that before they would make any deals, they wanted to talk to him and he said he didn't want to talk to police. Mary told him with the little bit of details that he had given, police would be searching for years. And then the caller asked, How many gravel roads are down here? Mary Jones told the investigators that because the caller had said, Down here, and because of his interest in the oil truck, she believed that the caller was someone in Brenda's family. The investigation again petered out. The Snedeker boys would not cooperate, and investigators could not pinpoint any gravel roads with enough specificity to do a search, even if they had taken that lead seriously, which I'm not sure they did. It wouldn't be until 1994, when more information developed, that the case slowly chugged back to life, like a car that hasn't been started in decades. Investigators from Florida left for Indiana in February of 94 and met with John Munden and the Indiana State Police detective. Together, they decided to try to take a run at Wanda Bowling first. She was living under the name Snedeker, and she worked at a nursing home. So the cops rolled up on her unannounced, and they asked to speak with her. They said that she didn't appear nervous, but she clearly wasn't crazy about being approached at work with no warning. Wanda said she was uneasy about having the meeting at work because it could cause her problems. And she also said that she was feeling sad because it was around this time of year that Steve had died, and the memories were lingering. Investigators asked her a number of questions, and they said that she appeared to answer them, easily and honestly, but most of them she claimed no knowledge of. Most interesting was that she denied destroying any of Steve's papers, along with Bill Reagan, the night Steve died at the Halifax Hospital in Daytona, as Mary Jones, Steve's sister, had claimed. Wanda told them that Steve Snedeker played word and head games with everyone. She felt that no single person would know any group of details if Steve didn't want them to know. He gave out information in twos and threes to different people just to confuse the issue. Small details would be changed so that the correct story could never be substantiated. The contract of immunity was presented to Wanda and she couldn't have cared less. All she wanted was the good memories of Steve. Her problems, she said, were with his grown children, because they were greedy. And I've got to chuckle a little bit at the idea of a chick who had shacked up with a known criminal months after his wife went missing under suspicious circumstances, going on about anyone else's greed. I'm guessing that Wanda wasn't with Steve Snedeker for his delightful temperament and strong moral convictions. After about 15 minutes of talking to her, it was clear that Wanda was not interested in continuing. She wanted to get back to work. When she was asked if there was anything else that she would add, Wanda said she was now involved with her church and her Christian friends, and she just wanted to get on with her new life. 
Her only parting request was that the police not tell anyone in the Snedeker family where she was. So they gathered their paperwork and took their leave. They met back at John Munden's house in Greenfield to review the interview, and then the group decided together that they would next try Joe Snedeker. The investigators had decided that due to the Snedeker's attitude concerning law enforcement and their general family paranoia, they would not try to record the interview. Joe was also interviewed without advanced notice, and while he did not appear upset, he did say he would have liked to have been forewarned. They spoke with him for about three and a half hours. Joe was presented the contract of immunity as well, and his attitude seemed to be that he thought it was bogus. Wagner asked Joe if he had ever seen the 25 caliber automatic handgun owned by his mother. At first, he replied, never, but later in the interview, he said, yes, it was chrome with pearl handles. Police told Joe that his mother always claimed the gun was a 22, but Joe was positive that it was a 25 caliber. Wagner asked Joe if he knew why he was registered with the FAA as a pilot and not his father, and why Steve's plane was registered in Joe's name. Joe laughed and said he had no idea. Wagner asked Joe if he ever heard from any family members any stories about a black male named Oliver who lived in Georgia being a boyfriend of his mother. He said his dad mentioned that name but no other details. Wagner said that he had heard he and his brother saw nude pictures of their mother and two black males. Is that true? Wagner asked. Never saw any pictures, Joe replied. I heard about some, but I didn't believe it. Ask Bud. Wagner told Joe that Trudy's brother had said Steve could fly in and out of Cuba and that Steve knew Castro. Joe claimed to have never heard that, but he also said that Steve went a lot of places that he never told anyone. I should note that in the mid-80s, Steve asked John Munden if he had ever met his in-laws after he had married Nieves. Steve told John that he would be happy to fly him to Cuba any time. When he was asked if he had ever told anyone that he and Steve took a body and got rid of it, and that he asked Steve if it was his mom, and Steve replied, don't ask, it's not your mother, it's a black man, Joe completely denied this and became irritated. Investigators noted in the report that three law enforcement officers had actually heard Joe say this due to a listening device, and there is, in fact, audio tape of that statement. So Wagner told him, we've got audio. What do you have to say about that? And Joe said, not my voice. Never said such a thing. He completely denied the conversation had occurred. Then Wagner asked Joe if Bill Reagan had showed up two days after his mother disappeared. Joe said, I don't remember, but if he did, it was probably a coincidence. Wagner told Joe that his siblings had mentioned that Reagan was present to help dispose of his mother and pick up some money from Steve. Joe's reply, don't know, ask Bud. Wagner told Joe the story Brenda had told them about Steve putting a gun to Trudy's head for days prior to her disappearance. You know anything about that? Wagner asked. Joe's response, absolutely not. But ask Bud. He was closer to mom than I was at the time. Wagner asked Joe about James Wilkes, Steve's ex-driver. Joe said Wilkes was a dirtbag and not worth much to anybody. He said he was in Florida looking for a job about three months after Lord disappeared, and he never heard from him again. They presented Joe with the map that had the X on it, 
and another map that had been drawn for John Munden. They noted that Munden wasn't sure who drew either map. The X map had been found by Joe, who faxed it to Brenda, who gave it to Wagner. That map had been found in Laura's flower book, which Steve had until his death. Joe confirmed that both maps were definitely Steve's handwriting. Wagner then asked Joe why he and his family left Astor so quickly. Joe said, I was never happy in Astor in the first place. I felt Steve had killed my mom, and he knew it. When he made threats to me and my family, I knew he'd do it, so we left. Numerous times in the interview, Joe said that he wished his dad had died, so everyone else would still be alive. Then Wagner asked Joe if he thought Steve had told the truth about leaving him information about Trudy's death and some of his other crimes to be read after he had died. Joe's response? Steve never told anyone the truth about anything, period. The investigators had barely left Joe's interview when he called John Munden and said that he thought the contract of immunity was bullshit and that Wagner had really been there to arrest him. Munden tried to explain the situation to Joe, but he didn't think that he believed him. Brenda had also called Munden from Astor, and she was upset because Joe had called her and accused her of saying too much. Brenda made it very clear that now she was also pissed at Wagner. Wagner then made two attempts to call Brenda, but she did not respond. In fact, Brenda would not take his calls for days. Next up was Bud, the youngest son. Investigators spoke to him via phone because of bad weather and they couldn't travel. After some preliminary talk, Wagner asked Bud if he'd ever told anyone that he had seen nude photos of his mother with two black men. Bud said everyone had heard that story, but he never told anyone he'd seen pictures because he hadn't. As far as he was concerned, his father made that story up. Wagner asked Bud if he had ever told anyone that Bill Reagan had come to Astor to dispose of Trudy. Wagner shared that this information had come from his sister Brenda. Bud said that was a complete lie. Just like he had asked Joe, Wagner asked Bud why he and his wife had left Florida and he got basically the same response. They were afraid of his father. Wagner asked Bud if he knew what Wanda had ended up with as far as money after Steve died. Bud said that just prior to Steve's death, he and Joe were sent to North Florida Oil and Astor to get, from what he was told, $80,000 from the trunk of Steve's Mercedes. When they arrived, it was gone. He believed that Wanda had taken that money, but he didn't have any proof. A week or two before Trudy disappeared, Bud was at the fence in his backyard that separated their houses and Trudy told him that every night Steve had been putting a gun to her head. She said, I know he's going to kill me. I just don't know when. She didn't elaborate on why Steve was doing this and this part sort of puzzles me because if my mom said that to me, I'd be like, Mom, what the hell? Why is Dad pointing a gun at your head? I mean, I get that in Snedeker land, violence and intimidation is par for the course. But the lack of curiosity here is astounding. Unless Bud already knew why Steve was doing it. Or maybe he thought he did. Wagner asked Bud if he knew who had left the hospital prior to Steve's death and had gone back to Astor in what Brenda described as a quick trip. Bud said yeah, he and Wanda had done this because he had been told that all of Steve's $100,000 CDs were to be his, 
So he and Wanda had gone to the trailer, got the CDs, and then went back to Halifax Hospital. Wagner asked Bud if he had told Brenda that he saw burn marks on the sidewalk behind Steve's trailer, where papers may have been burned. Bud said Mary had told him that papers had been burned, but he never looked for any or saw any marks. Then he was asked if he had ever told Brenda and Danny that he was present when Steve and Buck Estes buried one or two bodies and then poured concrete over them as an extension of Steve's carport on Keith Street in Astor, next door to Bud. His reply was swift. Danny is a total liar and so is Brenda if they said such a thing. He said he had never even heard of that story before. Wagner asked him about the three-way phone conversation with his brother and sister about Wanda and that gun, saying that she wouldn't return it. And Bud said, yeah, I remember that. But they were talking about a 38 caliber revolver, not a 25 caliber automatic. Investigators did note that there had been that 38 caliber revolver with no serial number that had been seized from the office. When he was asked why Joe seemed to hate his father, Bud told Wagner that he had been severely abused by their father for many years on a regular basis. He said that Trudy had also been abused by Steve from almost the day that they had met. He said he had personally seen evidence of this many times over the years. According to Bud, Steve was also an expert at mental abuse, and he used it on pretty much everyone. The party line in the family was that family came first and all others were the enemy, to the point of mass paranoia. After speaking with Bud, the police had to circle back to Wanda again, but this time they called her on the phone. And again, she was irritated that the case was even being discussed. Wagner told Wanda that he had heard the night Steve died, a suitcase or briefcase was removed from his room and taken to a car. He asked if she was aware of this. Wanda said that he had suffered a violent seizure and he was transported to Halifax. She packed a small suitcase with things for both of them in case she had to stay over. She said there were no personal papers or documents inside that suitcase. Then he asked her about the money in the trunk of the Mercedes and Wanda claimed to have no knowledge of any money in the trunk. She did confirm that quick trip to Astor to get those CDs for Bud, and when she was asked about the conversation regarding the gun, she said she didn't remember Bud asking for a gun, but there was a 38 caliber handgun that may have been at Steve's business in the private office. She hadn't seen it for the last months of Steve's life, but Steve had told her that one day someone had broken into the office and taken some items, including guns. Investigators noted that Joe had told Wagner during his interview that he had broken into Steve's office in the past out of curiosity, but he didn't find anything except some guns and papers. Wanda told them that after Steve died, Brenda and Danny had come into her home by force and rummaged through the house. I don't know what they walked off with, Wanda said. What actually happened was that legally, through the Lake County court system, Brenda had Wanda evicted from that home with nothing because Wanda was never able to prove that she had even been married to Steve. The report had even called this incident, quote, a very bitter battle and intense action. I will add that every family member that I spoke with told me that they believed Wanda had run off with that cash from the trunk. But again, when you're talking about Snedeker's, who knows if that money existed 
and where it ended up. One of the last major occurrences in this case happened in the last week of April 1994, which was spent excavating a portion of yard at the 12 Keith Street residence due to that story about bodies possibly being buried there. There was an area of interest rumored to be under a patio slab that was poured in late 82 or 83. I am not clear on the source of this story about the bodies being buried there, but ground-penetrating radar was used. About half the slab that Steve put in was cut out, broken up and removed, and two cadaver dogs were used on different days. In the end, they came up with nothing. The final page of the report regarding this dig reads as follows. It is the opinion of all involved that enough has been done to lay to rest rumors throughout the Snedeker family of bodies under this particular slab. About six months later, in October of 94, based on new evidence that wasn't really so new, but had finally made its way to police, Laurel Morris's body was exhumed. Police were interested in a note that they learned had been placed into the coffin into a small box. Unfortunately, having dug up her final resting place, police didn't learn much from the note, as it had succumbed to the elements and only some of the words on the page were legible. Certainly not enough to put together anything of value, other than Laura's mother had, indeed, asked a family friend to put a note that she had written to her daughter into the coffin with her. The dig at the Astor House and Laura's exhumation seemed to be the last ragged gasps of both investigations. Both Laura and Trudy's deaths would go unsolved, and many questions would be left unanswered. When I got the Lake County Sheriff's Department's reports on Trudy's case, which included some of the Indiana investigation files and notes, one of the last entries stood out. It's dated July 11, 2013, and it consists of emails exchanged between two Lake County Sheriff's Office employees doing validations. These are basically checks they do regularly to see if there are any case updates or developments or if anything needs to be added to the system. One email reads, Good morning. It's that time of the month again. You guessed it, validations. Just wondering if you've heard from Trudy Romans, a.k.a. Gertrude Mary Snedeker, lately? I'm guessing not, but I still have to ask. Hope you enjoy your day. The reply reads as follows. You got it. She's still among the missing. I just wish that when her husband called Lynn Wagner down to Tampa when Steve was on his deathbed, he would have told them where Trudy was. Lynn Wagner went down there, and Steve said, Ha! Thought I'd tell you where she is, didn't ya? Well, guess what, fat boy? I ain't telling. I know when Lynn died, he punched Steve out. That last line got a smile out of me. While the likelihood is exactly zero of Lynn Wagner ending up in the same place in the hereafter as Steve Snedeker, I sure do like the idea of someone nailing him right in the kisser. Stay tuned. 